Testing, one, two, three, one, two, three, testing, testing, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. Testing. Well, hello, everybody. This is Mike Booty, the Midnight Citizen of the Midnight Citizen Show. It's Sunday morning, July 4th, 2021. And uh, if you were paying attention last night um, on Facebook or on YouTube or on whatever, uh, you'll know that I was supposed to do a live show last night. I was really excited about it. I uh, kind of promoted it. And not that many people listen to the live shows that I've been doing on Saturday night. I think uh, the max audience I've had at any one time was eight people, which I I still consider pretty good for an obscure podcast like mine that uh, does a live show on Saturday night when everybody else is out having fun and having lives and drinking. Um, It's... uh, Still, nevertheless, you know, it's a it's a little disappointing when, uh, you know, you're trying to do something and you've got everything set and then you come into the studio here and uh, ready to do a show and that small audience is watching and uh, just everything manages to go wrong all at once. Uh, the same exact thing happened to me last summer. I remember I wanted to do a, a, a show outside, so I brought all of my equipment. I brought my desktop computer. I brought my mixer, my, my, uh, 14 channel mixer, um, uh, over to my parents' house. And I, I, I went out on the porch cause I was house sitting and, uh, I was going to do a really nice like summer show out on the deck and, uh, it just, everything went wrong and, uh, I, there's nothing I could figure out. And I think the, the, the same exact thing happened last night has happened last year, I used this program called the Open Broadcasting System, which you may be familiar with. And I've always really liked this program. It allows me to uh, essentially produce uh, an audio-visual experience, uh, complete with logos, and um, you know, it mixes in the music really well, and the you know gives me video to to, to display. And it's just a really seamless experience, and I've always really enjoyed it. But occasionally, you will have nights like last night where just there's something that is not computing. Um, everything is working the same as it always is, and uh, and it just wasn't working last night. And I worked for about an hour and a half to try and get it ready. Um, and uh, I sent out a Facebook post finally that just said, like, there's probably not going to be a show tonight. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't get any response on it, but, but that's okay. If you're like me, you know, you'll, you'll see people post things on Facebook and you'll just be like, okay. I mean, you won't actually write a response, but, uh, if you saw it last night and, uh, you know, you were, you were ready to watch me or whatever, you were ready to listen to the show live, you know, I'm sorry about that. There was just technical issues. I couldn't handle it. So, um, anyway, Getting getting to why I'm coming to you right now. So, um, in keeping with uh, just trying to keep the show going, um, I am going to post uh, a show from the archives. This is the exact thing I did last year when I had technical issues. Um, I did not do a new show. I, I posted a show from the archives. And, of course, uh, the Midnight Citizen show is something that I have been doing now uh, since 2010. Um 
And I should have a lot more shows than I do, but uh, there were just a lot of times where I kind of took some time off. And But uh, nevertheless, I went into the uh, back issues, which you can find at mikebooty.com slash the Midnight Citizen. Um, there's a scroll down link to back issues where you can find uh, episodes going all the way back to 2011. All the shows from 2010 are lost forever um, because I did them on a very old computer that I have. I did not realize the value of archiving to the cloud back then, so therefore those all those episodes from 2010 um, are on a hard drive somewhere. I have no idea. It may be in like storage in Mississippi right now. I have no idea. Uh, but anyway... So all the way back to 2011. So I found an episode for you uh, from 2015, July 4th of 2015. So exactly six years ago today, um, I found an episode. Uh, The Midnight Citizen 126, the episode is called Interviewing Fireworks. And uh, I was looking through the show notes for this. So essentially what it says is it's uh, an episode that is two hours and seven minutes long. Uh, join Mike in the studio on a Saturday night. That's the same room I'm in right now. Uh, and also on the porches and streets of Birmingham, Alabama. So this is back in the days. I'm not saying back in the days. I mean, I may still do shows like this in the future uh, where I would mix up studio recordings with field recordings for a complete kind of experience. And I would basically record in the field all through the week and then come in here on the, into the studio on a Saturday night and, and do a live show, but also, you know, mix in things that I had recorded that week. So it says topics include happy 4th of July, interviewing fireworks. <laughs> uh, it's probably like last week where fireworks just, I live in a downtown area of Birmingham, Alabama. So fireworks are just like a constant thing throughout the entire month of July. Uh, but the Dick Tracy watch story, sarcastic Americanism, uh, I got a new coffee percolator. That sounds exciting. Uh, podcasting and misconceptions. So I, I think I do a whole rant about podcasting, I'm sure. Uh, awful movie trailers and Jurassic World review. So this movie Jurassic World came out, I guess, six years ago, and I and I talk about it. Um, that's not a movie I would go see today. Um, and And much more, okay? So music for this episode is from the Midnight Cassette System. This is when I was still playing. Uh, backing music uh, from Franco Edward Nora's uh, Midnight Cassette System. So um, I don't really do that anymore. But anyway, okay, so this is going to be a good show. And, uh, you know, it's it's timely, so it's July 4th, 2015. Uh, I wanted to find a show from this day in Midnight Citizen history, I guess. Uh, and I will uh, get back to fixing and working on the OBS, um, it, you know, it... It's going to be a whole system. I, I really did feel like in that movie Apollo 13 trying to fix just engineering problems last you know night, although the stakes were not nearly as high. So anyway, okay, enjoy this, uh, enjoy this show, and uh, I will be back again, I promise, next week in some kind of form. If I don't fix technical issues, I will do a field show. I don't know, okay? So enjoy the show, and uh, happy 4th of July, everyone. Thank you.
from Birmingham, Alabama. This is Mike Booty, your Midnight Citizen. Welcome to the show. It's Saturday night once again here in town. And um, tonight's show features right outside the window here in the Midnight Citizen studio. Fireworks. Let me see if I can... uh, I've been hearing them all night long. I don't know if they're still going on. Do you hear anything outside? Like, for the last two and a half hours, they've uh, been going off nonstop. It's been like... (laughs) And as soon as I, like, begin to... The recording... It all dies out. There's nothing. Well, you know, whatever. I, I just... <laughs> could listen to the sound of that beer opening instead. <laughs> you know, what can I say? It's, um... I did a recording earlier. I got plenty of fireworks on audio, and I'll play that recording for you in a few minutes. It's about a 25-minute retrospective or introspection, I guess you could say, on on what it's like to live in America in these uncertain times. Uh, no, nah, I, I wouldn't go that far. But um, Oh, I just heard one. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. I wonder if we could uh, interview a firework on this episode tonight. What's it like to be a firework? That hard, huh? <laughs> it's nice. I've heard uh, probably hundreds of fireworks tonight. I, I just haven't seen any. I've seen. I saw. I've seen a couple uh, driving over here tonight. I. Uh, saw some kids shooting off uh, some things in the park. What do you call those things? Are they, they're they not Roman candles. It's like a smaller equivalent um, where it just shoots multicolored flashes out of a little tube. You know, and he was doing that in the park. And I, I saw a couple of you know, big over Red Mountain, so. But uh, all I know is that I, I uh, there is some traffic here. Because uh, every year, uh, there's about three or four different fireworks displays, and they're all downtown Birmingham, or in surrounding areas. And the big one is, of course, uh, Thunder on the Mountain, um, up at uh, Red Mountain, um, which is about two miles from here, from where I am. And um, just, people were parking, like, like, on the expressway ramp. I can't believe the cops were allowing that. They were just... Allowing themselves, like, putting themselves in danger to see, like, a few fireworks. Um, seems like they could have, because you could see fireworks for miles around. I don't know, how how high up does a firework go? Like, about half a mile into the sky? Maybe even higher? And then it erupts. And the eruption is just a big balloon that goes, that has a pretty big radius to it. So, um, just your average firework that's set off by, like, a professional company. So, it's really not that hard to see them. Um, 
but uh, I don't know what it is. People do some pretty crazy illogical things to see explosions. Um, it's just something that our brains are wired to do. <laughs> Act all irrational. Um, if there's like an explosion that's going to be happening in the near future. <laughs> Remember years ago here in Birmingham, they were going to uh, demolish a building. And they set up all these charges. And uh, just the traffic jam that day was huge. It was like just... You couldn't go anywhere, so people lined up for miles around to see this, like, ordained, sanctioned explosion, so. But, um, I don't know what to say. Uh, happy 4th of July. I'm sure I'm going to say that a lot more within the, within this broadcast, but uh, glad to be back in the studio. I didn't do a show last week, and uh, I feel bad for that. I, I was fully intending to do a show, but uh, I uh, went and saw that Jurassic Park movie last Saturday, and I didn't get home until after midnight. And uh, by that time, I was, uh, you know, a lot of times I do these shows late. Like right now, it is almost 11 o'clock, and um, even though the show is called The Midnight Citizen, I don't really need to tell you. I've told it a million times. I, I kind of consider the topics here to be night topics exploratory um, free free roaming they can go anywhere uh, the midnight in the title the midnight citizen does not necessarily mean I have to do it at midnight <laughs> I tried doing that for a while but it just never it never worked out turned out to be a, a little bit too much uh, work to do all this show on a Saturday night and then I would stop it like I would get finished with everything at three o'clock in the morning so it just wasn't <laughs> so what was I talking about <laughs> excuse me I uh, got a text message just now and turned my phone off that always distracts me. So, yeah, I didn't do a show last Saturday night. I got home late after seeing the Jurassic Park movie, and, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, because before I went to go see the movie, I, I made a pretty long pre-review talking about my history with Jurassic Park and my expectations for the movie and if I thought it was going to be good or not, and then I went and saw the movie, So, and I intended to do a review after it, but... Uh, just came home and collapsed instead, so. So, uh, I'll play that uh, recording for you a little later in the show and review Jurassic Park, and uh, you can use my... The fact that I collapsed after I saw the movie is just kind of, I don't know, foreshadowing or, you know, forethought as to whether or not you think I like the movie. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you now. Let's uh, go ahead and get into some topics and uh, talk about it. The uh, main thing which I wanted to uh, get to tonight is that um, a very painful uh, memory was drudged up for me uh, last week by a friend of mine, Jason, who uh, posted a photo on Instagram of this um, Dick Tracy watch uh, that came out when the movie came out, the Warren Beatty movie from uh, the early 90s with uh, Madonna 
And um, Al Pacino played... Uh, who did Al Pacino play? What was his character's name? Dustin Hoffman played Mumbles. That's who I really know because that's... Uh, that's tied to the story. It's a mandatory requirement of the story that I know who played Mumbles because um, Mumbles was very much on my mind. Uh, what was his name? Mumbles O'Malley. Um, so Jason uh, had this Dick Tracy watch, which he never he never removed from the packaging. He never played with it because he was much older than me. I, I think Jason is about four years older than me. And uh, when the movie came out, I was about 8 years old, so that would put Jason about 12. And um, this cheap plastic watch was something I really wanted because I liked the idea of it. It's the same reason that people are buying the uh, Apple iWatch or the, the, the Apple Watch today. Just this ability to have all this technology on your wrist. And this Dick Tracy watch, even though it may have not worked the way it worked in the movie led to this fantasy of being connected outside of yourself to be able to push a button on this watch and con- and communicate with someone and be important you know and i thought that if i could have this watch i i would have i would be able to at least uh have that feeling about myself and um and i i, I was pretty sure at like the age of 8 that i was not going to be able to like communicate with the police commissioner or somebody but uh, it was just that hand-to-mouth motion, you know, hit the button, lift it up to your mouth, talk, maybe put, you know, a finger over your ear so that you could, like, zone out everything around you and hear the watch better. And um, it was very interesting to me. And uh, they were giving away these watches um, on the um, on this on this local uh, cable show, the, the Kids Club. So, like, and that was still... You know, in the early 90s, um, not all television was really syndicated yet, or they would have these kind of kids' shows in the afternoon where it would be like a host, like a local host, coming on from the studio atop Red Mountain, which is two miles away from me. And um, it would just be this kind of geek. I remember he just wore glasses. He was just kind of like, uh, he just had this kind of geeky look, and he was talking to teenagers. He, He was probably... Well, not teenagers. He was a teenager himself, but he was probably talking to kids. You know, kids like myself. I would uh, sit there during the summer in the afternoon when I was out of school and watch cartoons. And this guy was hosting them. And um, around the time Dick Tracy came out, they uh, showed a bunch of Dick Tracy cartoons from like the 40s. I don't know if these were like Max Fleischer cartoons, because I know he did... Uh, Max Fleischer did like Superman and stuff. I had a I had an opportunity a few years ago. I'm gonna look that up while I'm telling you this uh, to meet Val Valentine, who was did a lot of early rotoscope work for Max Fleischer on like uh, Gulliver, uh, Gulliver's Travels and stuff. So I don't know if it was Fleischer who did the. Uh... See, this was 1961. Just pulling up the uh, Wikipedia page. Um, Dick Tracy was a Chester Gould comic strip uh, crime fighter. Um, original syndicated run. Uh, it was pulled from syndication in the 70s. Okay, but who did it? 
Executive producers Peter DeMatt, Henry J. Saperstein. So I'm not seeing Fleischer's name on any of this. And I think Max Fleischer was really a little bit before that, right? Like he was like in the in the 30s and the 40s and all that. Maybe I'm 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 probably getting this totally wrong. I'm not really up to date. I'm not a, an animation buff, but nevertheless, the uh, Dick Tracy show and, and 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 they would show it on the Kids Club on WTTO 21, which is now the uh, Fox affiliate here in town. And I would just watch it every day because I was obsessed with Dick Tracy. I think I saw that movie like three times. And uh, they would do little prize giveaways. So, and one of the prizes was this coveted Dick Tracy watch. Like, I'm looking at a picture of the cartoon Dick Tracy talking into this watch. There's like little lightning bolts coming out of it to like signify voice, you know. (laughs) So, and um, they would always ask you trivia questions. And, um... So I would watch it every day, and I would always get there late, like I or I never I, I never got the trivia question, or I, I just could never get to the phone in time. So I was telling my mom about my plight one day at breakfast, and she said, "Okay, I'm going to set this up for you. We're going to get you a phone, and we're going to make what time does the the show come on?" I'm like, "I don't know, two thirty." Like, okay, we're going to sit you down in front of that television. We're going to get you a phone right there. I'll watch it with you to make sure that we pick up on everything that's going on in the episode so that you'll be able to guess the trivia. And um, and we're going to set you up. So I said, okay, let's do it. So that 2.30 comes, and, and we're really zoned into it. Like, I don't know if I'm taking notes or anything, but I'm really paying attention to this episode. And um, finally, toward the end of the show, and they really do this, obviously, just to get you to keep watching so that they can advertise all the toys and breakfast cereals to you and everything at the break. But finally, this teenage geek with the glasses comes on and, like, the loud, kind of late 80s vest. It was, like, the early 90s, but we really hadn't escaped that loudness and tackiness of, of like, 80s wear yet. Oh. <laughs> um, so... The question was very, very simple. Who was the villain in this week's episode of Dick Tracy? And I knew that. I was like, yes! And uh, picked immediately picked up the phone, called the number they had on the screen. And I got a, I got a busy tone. Eh, 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 eh. <sighs> Hung it up, dialed it again. One busy tone is not going to like deflect me. You can tell I'm like getting worked up and angry. You know. Another busy tone. Try it again. Another busy tone. Keep on trying, trying, trying. All the while, all the commercials are playing for like the, uh, the you know, all the Transformers, the Ninja Turtles action figures and stuff that you can buy uh, at your local store. And um, then the show comes back and they announce the winner. And it wasn't me. I don't even remember who the winner was. But I had an opportunity to remember this about 15 years later when I met my friend Jason. And this was early on. This was like within the first year that we uh, had known each other. I I went over to his house one day and this was in college. And I think I was there with like him and his girlfriend, Rachel. And uh, we were just hanging out uh, upstairs uh, above his parents' kitchen, like playing music or whatever. 
and uh, his room was like a wreck, and he was going through some of it looking to looking for like a VHS tape that he was going to give me that he thought I might like, and um, he finds this plastic Dick Tracy play watch at the bottom of all his things. It's totally like unwrapped, or it's it's it hasn't been um, oh God hasn't been unboxed. And then he shows it to me, and it's got like, um, it looks like a dog had chewed on it, which is indeed what happened. He said his dog, who they didn't have anymore, had chewed on it, you know, in the first couple of years that he had it, gotten hold of it. I was just like, this is beautiful, you know, and I told him the story about what happened. And uh, as I get around to the part where um, I'm telling him what the question of that week was, and he just completes my sentence, he's like, oh yeah, it was mumbles. <laughs> said are you, are you are you serious like that's actually the question like you're you're not just playing with me here and he's like no 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 seriously i was watching that week the question was who was mumbles o'malley or i mean uh who was the villain of that week's dick tracy and he said mumbles o'malley this is like jesus christ so of course time has a funny way of distorting the facts and the figures but um but to this day, Jason swears to me he he was he was not screwing around with me. That was the real question he he asked, and he called up just because he was at home that day. He didn't have anything to do. He knew he was never going to play with a watch. He just wanted to call up and win something, and 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 I got so mad, you know, at that same time in the same universe, about twenty miles away, Moody, Alabama. I was sitting there. I wouldn't say I was crying. It was probably one of the first major temper tantrums I ever... Like, I remember I I tore my sister's phone out of the wall, the extension that she had gotten for Christmas that year. I tore it out of the wall. I was so mad and just... Oh, my God. Just a real witness to just the... Ugh. The catastrophes that can befall you if you rely on a a call-in show and years later i was working at i was i was one of those call screeners i was working at at abc over the thanksgiving weekend i had taken a temp job as being the guy who actually had to answer the phones uh for people to give them like ipods or something like that for answering a question so like the first 30 callers got some kind of prize i can't remember what it was or maybe the 30th caller got an ipod or whatever and, you know, they, they have this line there. If you ever wonder wonder how this works, they just have this line there in the television studio, and it's con- it's constantly unplugged except for the very second that they announce the contest. Like, call in now. And then you plug it in. You just start getting calls. You start getting calls. You take down the person's name and number. Uh, you tell them where to come, if they're going to come and pick it up, or you mail it to them. You get their mailing address. And, uh... And as soon as you get that 30th call, you just immediately unplug it, and that's it. Uh, so, you know, I don't harbor any anger or hatred toward Jason today. I'm just saying, that's pretty cold. I mean, I've, I've never been at home. I've never wanted to be like, hey, I, I don't need this. I have no use for it in my life, but I think I'm still going to call up and try to win it anyway. He crushed my spirit that day. 
15 years before I met him. So. All right, so uh, fireworks, I think, have officially stopped. I haven't heard one in quite a while, so... Still on this Dick Tracy Wikipedia page, and there's um, number three controversy. There's a controversy section about the old Dick Tracy cartoon show. <laughs> what is this? The Dick Tracy show was pulled from syndication in the mid 1970s and mid 1980s. It was not seen for years afterward because of its perceived racist undertones and use of ethnic stereotypes and accents. The show resurfaced on television in 1990 to coincide with the release of the feature film. <laughs> so I was like part of the, the, the first generation to see that show in over like 20 years. The show, as well as in 2006 on pay-per-view. The cartoon appeared on various independent stations across the United States in June 1990. That's where I watched it. To coincide with the release of the live-action feature film as previously mentioned. Asian and Hispanic groups started changing their ca- charging the characters. Joe Jitsu, a Japanese Chinese bucktooth character, and Go Go Gomez, a sombrero wearing Mexican, were offensive stereotypes. Two stations in Los Angeles removed the airings and edited episodes, were then sent out while one station, KCAL Channel 9, who at the time were owned by Disney, continued to broadcast the Dick Tracy show until July 4th, 1990. Hey, look at that. What was that? That's uh, 30... No, 22 years ago? 25 years ago? I can't do math. So, Henry G. Saperstein, then the chairman of UPA, stated, It's just a cartoon, for goodness sake. See? Even in the mid-1970s and mid-1980s, we were as sensitive as we are now. You just can't say anything anymore without justifying it or qualifying it. But, um... That's how it goes. See, I can say anything on this show because not many people listen to it. If I suddenly started blowing up, I'm sure I'd have to appease advertisers or... Oh, look at that. I just heard a firework go off okay so I guess they're still going on they're just trickling off so they're like right now they're loading stuff back onto the truck at the fireworks show they're like hey I didn't see these back here we'll pop them out (laughs) and um I'll go to some uh, field audio in just a second, but um, I'm looking at my phone right now, and it's it it it's been about eight hours since the accident. <laughs> Not eight hours; it, it happened this morning, and uh, everything is okay with it. Yeah, I left my uh, my phone on the window seal last night. Like every night when I go to bed, um, I set the alarm on my phone and I just put it down on the window seal that's right next to my side of the bed. And uh, this morning it rained and it thunderstormed uh, pretty violently here in Birmingham. And, um, yeah, the, um, 
the windowsill flooded, like it had a patch in it, which I had never noticed before. It's rained here like a hundred times or more since we've been in this apartment. We've been in here for a, about four years, and uh, I've never had any problems with that windowsill, but uh, for some reason it decided to flood. It didn't flood a great deal. It just flooded like a little bit. There was a small trickle. For a second, I thought the cat had gotten up there and like peed on it or something, but no, it, was, it wasn't pee. Uh, it was just a little bit of rain had gotten in through some kind of hole that was there, and it just didn't get over anything, but it got all over my phone. Just complete, completely flooded my phone. I had to wipe it off. It took, it took me like 20 seconds or 20 minutes <laughs> to get like all the water off of there. And then, um, and then the phone was like, it was turning on, but it was like turning blue. The screen was getting all fuzzy. Uh, the volume knob wasn't working. So I was like, oh my god. I mean, fortunately, it's it's not an expensive phone. It's I only got it for like $50, and it's a good phone, too. I've dropped it like a million times, and nothing's, nothing, you know, it's still okay. Knock on wood, of course. This is a big knock on wood story. You know how you knock on wood, you know, because you say something, and you're afraid that you're going to jinx it, like something bad's going to happen now that you said that everything is okay? I don't know where that comes from. I, I heard it's like an Australian myth or something. Like there's demons in the trees, and uh, if you don't knock, if you knock on the trees, it'll like keep them from coming out or something. I don't know. We'll investigate that later. So, but um, I told this to Jessica, and Jessica said what I've always heard, but I, it's it's never worked for me personally. Is just put put the phone, take it apart, and put it in a bag of rice, and we got some jasmine rice and filled up a Ziploc bag and just stuck the phone in there. We put the battery in there, the SIM card. And, um, waited like four hours and, uh, I brought it out, put it all back together. Everything was perfectly okay. Like, the screen is still a little fuzzy, but other than that, it's like... I can't, I can't believe it worked. I mean, honestly, you know. It's just one of those things you hear about, but you never expect it's gonna work. It worked. It just brought, it got all the moisture out of my phone, just soaked it all up, and um, and now we're back to good. I was so glad, because I was terrified that I was going to have to spend the 4th of July, like, oh my god, going to a phone store, like, dealing with, dealing with accounts, dealing with the SIM card, trying to get all my addresses back, and just all my information that's stored on the SIM card, just, oh my god. But I didn't have to, the, the, the rice worked, so... If you've ever heard of this and you, you're never sure it's going to work, it, it it works. Um, I don't know like how many situations it would work under. I don't know if I got lucky or, or whatever. So, so there you go. There's a feather in your cap. Wait for it. I'm on a, a porch right now. Somewhere in Birmingham. It's not my porch. It's uh, just a stranger's porch. <laughs> I'm uh, watching after a dog right now. Um, yeah, my uh, my fiance Jessica works for a dog sitting company and... Uh, 
she has an overnight sit at someone's house tonight, and I don't know anything about them except they have a really nice porch, and you can hear the bombs bursting in air somewhere out there in the distance. I can't see any of those bombs, those fireworks. Uh, I just, I just hear them. I don't know where they are. Of course, the um, big show, the thunder on the mountain that goes on uh, atop Red Mountain here in Birmingham starts at nine o'clock, and you'll you'll be able to definitely hear those fireworks anywhere you are, and probably see them too. It's just one of the biggest fireworks shows in the southeast um i don't know if i've ever officially gone to it i've kind of parked at strategic locations and and looked up I, i've never actually gone um up to vulcan before and actually parked and gotten out with like a blanket and watched the fireworks before so But yeah, Jessica has uh, stepped out for a second. I had to come over here to this house because uh, during overnight sits, uh, one of the rules is that you cannot leave the house. And so Jessica had another client. She was double booked, so she had to go and take care of some other dogs. Uh, so while she's gone to do that, I've, I have to stay behind and watch after this boxer puppy here named uh, Willie. And uh, right now, Willie's inside. So uh, I've stepped out here, and I may uh, drive around Birmingham in a few minutes and try and kind of get some better audio of fireworks. So, but I was just in here uh, watching the television and. Watching uh, King of the Hill on Adult Swim, which I don't really like most of the shows on Adult Swim. I, you know, just cartoons in general. I uh, have never watched that much, but uh, I do like the kind of feeling of Adult Swim. It has uh, this um, just kind of laissez-faire attitude to it, to it. I, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> it's it's nice, like background entertainment. You don't have to pay attention to it. I suppose, but yeah, the the Fourth of July is uh, always been a nice holiday. I've, I've I enjoy it because you don't have to do anything for it. Holidays can be stressful sometimes, like Christmas and Halloween, because uh, they sometimes require like a lot of work. Good Halloween, you have to put like a costume together, or choose which party to go to at Christmas time. Of course, there's just emptying your bank account, buying gifts for people. <laughs> but uh, the 4th of July, you really just have to kind of kick back and uh, relax and uh, enjoy the day. Maybe watch some fireworks at night. Throw some hamburgers on the grill or something. It's just um, a great way to celebrate the fact that you don't have to kind of work in all these like horrible communist labor camps or... Uh, or whatever, you know, we're we're not someplace else where we're just forced to do these terrible things uh, to 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 appease the government. You know, we just have to. It's really tough to uh, talk about like Americanism anymore. 
without si- sounding um, sarcastic or ironic or, or whatever. Uh, there, there's a lot of like false or ironic Americanism going on right now. Uh, prime prime example is I was just watching Adult Swim, and there was a commercial that came on for Hardee's, and uh, they were introducing some kind of new hamburger where they actually like put a hot dog sausage like within the hamburger as well as bacon and they just stuff it it's like a six foot high hamburger it's huge and um they say they they said why did hardy's decide to put a hot dog bun or a, a hot dog on a hamburger because america that's why and uh it zooms out from the guy eating the hamburger to like just show fireworks and everything and then at the bottom happy fourth of july <laughs> so um, especially, uh, there was the World Cup I remember going on last summer, and there were just people going all over Birmingham, uh, wearing just this really tacky, uh, American, like, red, white, and blue garb, like, short shorts, just, you know, promoting this, it's like a love for America, but it's, it's, a, it's like, just very sarcastic at the same time. I don't know what it is, it's, uh, kind of poking fun at people who just have this kind of unchecked sense of patriotism and self-righteousness. Well, it's like the idea of making fun of that song, uh, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. You know, that's a horrible song. And uh, for many years, you couldn't say that, that it was horrible um, in mixed company because some people, I, I don't know if you still can, but um obviously a love for america and patriotism has spawned like a lot of bad art and uh also just an arrogance um the idea that we're the best country in the world and uh we uh we don't we don't need to you know defend the fact that we're better than everybody else to anyone like if if and, you know, you can't just come to America and, you know, once you pick on one of us, you pick on all of us and, and that kind of thing. And uh, it's spawned a lot of negative attitudes, very sour attitudes and very xenophobic attitudes. Um, just the idea that we're better than everybody else and fuck you if you disagree with us. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, You know, so now I think there is this backlash of um, the younger generation, like people my age or people younger who um, are rebelling against that. Like, they still have a love for where they live, but they're rebelling against all of this unchecked, arrogant patriotism and xenophobic attitudes and, and all that, so... hear that I think a lot of that also has to do with um, the fact that we I mean we are we're at war right now aren't we <laughs> we still have um, we still have soldiers in hot zones um, but it's always been a very unpopular effort um, it, it's it's met with like a lot of controversy and um, and uh 
and most of the wars, like since since I guess World War Two, have have been kind of unpopular. Uh, Korea may have been the last war where everybody was just on board with that. Like, yeah, let's go stomp out communism, and um, or let's go stomp out fascism. Like that that that's just something that you can't uh, that that you have to agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna we're gonna. I mean, going to a foreign land to squelch this one tiny country, Germany, uh, who was trying to take over the world. And, and that, that sounded like a silly idea, but once they started killing millions of Jewish people, um, then it became like a good cause, and, and we won it. I don't know why it took us like four years to win that. It, I mean, it's just Germany is a very small country. Um, but I know that they had like Japan and Italy and, and all those guys on board. So, um, but, uh, and then Korea, that, that whole thing was because of communism, right? Um, my, my grandfather was a POW in Korea. Um, he, he apparently, he came back from Korea, um, weighing something like 78 pounds, like something ridiculous like that. So, um, but then you know you had this Vietnam thing and and uh and that that's like I guess cuz that happened after um JFK was shot and Martin Luther King was shot so there was like all this horrible strife going on and meanwhile we were sending people overseas again and it didn't I guess Vietnam wasn't like there was bad public relations like it wasn't really communicated why we needed to go over there um and then I know there was this whole thing about the Pentagon Papers or something where uh, uh, it was like this leaked document that proved that the Vietnam War was just unwinnable and it was just going to go on forever. And um, and then the whole Watergate thing happened. So suddenly there it wasn't like everything leading up to the 1960s where people were just kind of not checking um what their government was doing. And I know that they were, there was probably this heightened awareness that the government was not always telling the truth, but, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in mass circulation until, um, the late 1960s, 1970s, at least from the history that I've read. And, um, there was just suddenly this rebelliousness that hadn't been there before. And it's been there ever since. And, um, so, and my generation, like I'm 32, so uh, I don't know what you want to call me. Like if I'm a millennial, I'm not sure. I was born in 1982, so I was born right at the very end of the Generation X, I guess. Like I think my sister, she's 36, so she's Generation X wholeheartedly. She was born in uh, 1978, um, but I don't, I don't know what I am. <laughs> <laughs> really, I, Generation Y, Generation Millennial, I, I don't know. Um, I was the last generation to not uh, to, to not have the internet at any point in my life, at some point in my life. Um, I, I, I'll definitely say that, so I, I know that at least. I, I know what it was like to live without the internet. Um, I don't really remember it very well, but... Uh, so... But uh, we just have this um, very real cynicism, and I know it's carried over from Generation X about anything that our government does, and and um, 
we have a definitive attitude against being told what to think like just just because we're america i mean we 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 don't want to be told um by the older generation that we're impervious that we're perfect you know and um and we have um just an inherent dubiousness against um just phony patriotism and unchecked americanism and uh doesn't mean that we're not americans it's just that uh, we we kind of display it in in ways different than others and 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 you know obviously there everybody's different and uh, not everybody thinks like what i'm saying and and i don't even know if i think what i'm uh, like the way that i'm saying um i think most people are really more like like they they're like me where i just kind of go day to day i live my life i worry about my problems and i don't have this just connectivity to my country <laughs> I love living in America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world, and particularly I love living in Alabama. Um, you know, we've got our own problems here in Alabama. I mean, most recently with the Confederate flag issue, and um, people outside of Alabama may label us like rednecks or uh, bigots or whatever, and um, I, I, you know, that's their problem. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a redneck. I'm not a bigot. Um, I just live my life, and uh, and I kind of wish, uh, you know, I just want other people to live their own lives. You know, don't impose on me. I won't impose on you. And I feel like that's the way most people are. They're maybe not not like that when they get on social media, you know, because people tend to have hot buttons these days. And uh, they go on Facebook looking at something, and it offends their sensibilities, and and they go off and uh you know on them and <laughs> but uh in real life i mean in in day-to-day interaction most people are are really just passive they they just want to get through their days and they want to go home <laughs> and um they're not loud about their opinions and uh and they and they help each other so <laughs> i don't know if any if this is making any sense at all but, um, but yeah, happy Fourth uh, of July to you. Um, you know, I I do. I mean, it's definitely a holiday that brings up a lot of memories. Um, starting when I was about three or four years old, maybe the first Fourth of July that I really remember experiencing was uh, in our little house in uh, Anniston, Alabama. We um, would set up fireworks like Roman candles and bottle rockets um, in the driveway. And um, this is just my earliest memory of, of the 4th of July where, where my dad was setting up um, some kind of firework. I mean, I think it was like a firecracker, you know, it was one that just kind of fizzles around on the pavement and then goes out. Uh, but he lit the fuse, and, of course, the fuse did not... Um, go all the way in it was a silent fuse so he went up to check it and it just <laughs> blew up and uh, to this day he has a black mark on his right thumb so um, I'm sure everybody uh, has probably a story of when they were stupid with fireworks or when my parent or when their parents were stupid with fireworks I, I told one a couple weeks ago on the show where uh, 
uh, you know, I, I set off a bottle rocket in the house one time, and it was a very stupid move. I was probably about 10 years old, and uh, I lit the thing in the kitchen with a plan of just, because I couldn't wait to get outside. <laughs> I couldn't wait to walk the 10 feet. So I lit one, and um, it went off faster than I thought it would, and I instantly tried to run to the kitchen, or to tried to run to the back deck, but it didn't work, so I dropped the Roman. I, I dropped the bottle rocket in fear, and it just, you know, took off like a DeLorean, like it was going back in time. It left like a fire streak <laughs> on the tile. So, um, but uh, but you know, of course, um, we 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 would always. Um, Growing up in my subdivision, we there there was a very brief time when I was in the fourth grade where there were actually several people who were my age or around my age living in my neighborhood, and um, we had this big cul-de-sac, you know, that joined all the houses in the neighborhood, um, and uh, there were these parking spaces in the middle of this cul-de-sac, and and there were four of them, two, you know, and it just formed like a four square. Um, you know, and it had lines dividing each square. So we we invented this game called lines, where one person was it, and they had to stand at the center, and everybody else, you know, spread out and stood at a definitive at a different corner of the of the square, and then it had to trace the lines to that person before they could make it to one other side of the uh, square. So, and uh, one Fourth of July, we were out there playing that. Uh, this was probably like 1992 or 93. Um, we were playing uh, lines and uh, in the cul-de-sac, and somebody was... Uh, that was the first time I heard uh, Bad Out of Hell because uh, somebody had uh, brought out uh, Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell album and put it in the CD player, so we were, like, playing lines. Well, I mean, that's that's definitely what you would call American. God damn it. I hate that expression, American. You know, everybody... Like, it's just this... That that's kind of the uh, perfect embodiment of ironic patriotism or Americanism when somebody puts like this deep Southern twang on the word America, America. You know, it's just um, it's it's kind of annoying, <laughs> but I can't help but say it sometimes. Because you do, you you look at these like stereotypical or maybe like what you might think are cliched American scenes, like fireworks going off in the distance, a big block party of people eating hot dogs and hamburgers and and drinking beer and listening to the baseball game, and um, and that's American. Um, but um, but uh, it's it's said in this kind of like false positive, like you're kind of negative towards it because it's so cliched, but it's a nice scene at the same time. You know, it's just, um, people enjoying simple pleasures of life. You know, they're not working. It's, it's like a federal holiday. Everybody gets to go home and, uh, just be with their family and friends and just enjoy overeating and entertainment and, um, fire. (laughs) Everybody likes fire. And they like it when things explode. So, <laughs> um, it's very strange because, like, I was going around with Jessica today, and 
we went to we, we I had spent uh, mo- we I had spent most of the day in the house because um, I had to get some work done uh, for work. I had to complete some stuff, so I was in my uh, at my computer pretty much the whole morning, um, and um, I was actually it was nice because I was listening to the On Sug Saloon in the background. Yeah, the Overnight Scape Underground, Frank Nora founder of the Overnight Scape Underground network of podcasters has put together a nice little streaming service completely free uh, that plays old OnSug shows. So it's really nice to have in the background. It's just this thing that streams in perpetuity. And you can just listen to it um, while you're doing other things. OnSug.com forward slash saloon. It's nice. It's got this chat feature where you can go in and talk to other people while you're listening. So it was nice because I was like in and out of the uh, the chat room, just talking to other people while we were all listening to the same thing. It was uh, fantastic. So definitely uh, recommend it if you've got some work to do and you enjoy listening to podcasts. That's a a great thing to do. Onsug.com forward slash saloon. So I don't even know if you have to say forward slash anymore. I think it's all just, you know, (laughs) that's like on the old uh, Monster Vision, Joe Bob Briggs, TNT dot monster. Wait, what was it? TNT dot Turner dot com forward slash Monster Vision. (laughs) They used to say that like in the mid 90s on on TNT, how you you would get to the website. (laughs) So. But uh, but yeah, we were driving around today. Um, after I did some work, and we decided to go out to like Railroad Park in Birmingham. Um, if you're not from Birmingham, you don't know what I'm talking about. Railroad Park is this really nice, just urban green space. It's, I would say, it's about um, I don't know, 20 acres or so there in Birmingham, uh, right between the south side and the north side. It's right in the middle of the of the city, and uh, you know, I would uh, I would say it's kind of like Central Park. Not as big, but um, just this nice communal place. And we went there, and we got some lunch and walked around and fed the geese that were on the lake and stuff and and uh, walked around there. And then we went to Starbucks, and, and, and every place we go, we went, there were we saw people working, and they just all looked miserable. And, like, we went to Starbucks, and, I mean, just I swear, I think the girl only, like, said hello to us because, like, her manager was standing right there or something. <laughs> just, like... That's most places you go now. Just like employees look at you just with outright hostility. Like they really want to like kill you if there were no like uh, social uh, contracts in place preventing them from doing so. <laughs> so they, they just like they all just everybody just looks like they want to hurt you. Um, <laughs> but uh, contrary to that, and I and I, I cut them some slack because who wants to work on the 4th of July? I mean, it's like a federal holiday. Like I have off and you know, everybody has off. But um, but still, like you, people get out on the Fourth of July and they go places, and there's got to be people to work at those places to kind of you know keep things going. But um, but yeah, we went to this one Win Dixie to get like, uh, dinner earlier, and um, strange is like everybody was all the associates. I've never uh, encountered this at any grocery store before in my life. This is a first where every single associate we passed like said hello to us. They were all like so nice. Like this one guy, like I, I swear he was unpacking boxes. He was a stock boy. The stock boys never have to say hello to you. They're they're not on the floor. 
they're not customer service, but he's still like he put down his packing knife or his uh, his his box cutter, and he turned to us. He's like, "Hi, how are y'all today? Happy Fourth of July." We're like, "Okay, happy." <laughs> so, I you know, so crazy that you've like. I mean, I guess it sort of fits. And in this Win Dixie, it's like a flagship Win Dixie store. It's not like all the others where it's just this cold industrial. Uh, warehouse with a bunch of food in it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just this very nice store with like a gourmet uh, foods uh, section and a nice wine selection and just huge selection of beer and uh, you know it, it, it had this butcher and uh, you know it's um, very nice. So and their thing is to kind of because Win Dixie is the classic Southern supermarket. You know they've been around for years and uh, their thing is just to promote this 1940s 1950s idealism of this uh just american small town supermarket so so they were very uh, helpful and nice so. but um what else i may uh let that be it for right now i'm 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 gonna Waiting for Jessica to get back so that I can, uh, hopefully the dog is calmed down in there. It's just, it's like a puppy. You know, the, the, it's just got all this puppy energy. So I like just put him inside to let him cool off. So hopefully he's, uh, kind of back to normal, but, but I will, uh, return it to Mike in the studio, which is going to be a couple hours from now when I get home and, uh. All right, once again, happy 4th of July. I'm sure I'll say it again on this broadcast. And yeah, happy 4th of July. Once again, thank you. Thank you, Field Mike. Mike in the past. I appreciate it. So, yeah. And the fireworks are still going on outside just before, uh, at the very end of that recording. Because I play the recording all the way through, you know, I don't just, you know. I may say some stuff in the recording that I want to add on to, but, uh, but yeah, just before I finished, uh, that recording just now, um, there was just a loud bang, like, <laughs> it scared me, it scared the dog, just, uh crazy you know it's midnight it should be over by now but uh, no they're still going strong you know so, welcome back to the midnight citizen studio on this uh, saturday night and uh, that gave me a good chance uh, to go get some coffee that long recording i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed the the uh, opportunity I'm drinking this uh, Obsidian Blend from Caribou Coffee. Real dark, thick coffee. But I gotta tell you, it doesn't compare. It does not compare to the uh, coffee that I had yesterday morning. I got a Percolator this week, and I've never had Percolator coffee. Um, you know, you just put some coffee in the basket, some ground coffee, and then you fill it up with water, and then it steeps over the stove and um it it makes just it it made probably the thickest deepest richest coffee i've ever had in my life yesterday it was delicious i'm a big fan right now of percolator coffee 
And uh, I would have made some just now, except it's just, it's kind of a process to clean it, because you have to clean the basket really well, and, and um, you know, it makes like eight cups, so you have to clean out the entire carafe, and, um, you know, we made some more this morning. But, uh, I don't know, the night is young, I may make some more coffee a little later on, so, but, um... I, I've, I've definitely graduated in the past few years to just a true, like, coffee fanatic person. I never used to drink coffee. It just was always... It never registered to me as something that would be enticing. But, um... I don't know. In the la- Like, it, it really started uh, right around the, uh, the time I was in graduate school. I started graduate school about five years ago. And, um, it just became something nice. You know, you go home and study at night. You put on a pot of coffee. And uh, I've become a big fan of just figuring out new blends, new ways to brew it, new ways to make it. And um, we've got all these different methods. I mean, obviously, there's the old instant coffee. You, know, you just put some you know, coffee in and, and put like little grounds in there, and it just fills up. And um, you know, you can French press it. We have a French press. That was a big deal the, the day we got that about four years ago. And uh, then we got a Keurig, and I uh, love the Keurig. It's just a very simple, low-maintenance, self-cleaning way to make coffee. And uh, we've got the good old-fashioned... We don't have the electric coffee pot anymore. I take that back, because I took that to work. And uh, I, I don't work at the same place at work that I do now, and uh, just kind of left it to the people who inherited my position and I don't know what has become of that electric coffee pot. I, I, I should probably go and see if I can get it back. Because <laughs> it has a lot of meaning. Because uh, that, that's that's the coffee pot that I actually really started drinking coffee on. It made terrible coffee. It was all watered down. But um, yeah, the, 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 the old-fashioned just electric coffee pot, that is my least favorite way of making coffee. It's, it's just very practical and uh, just immediate and... Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't honor the coffee. Uh, but then the percolator, that, that was just, and I don't know because it's new, it's a new experience. Um, that's why I like it so much, but I, I just enjoy it. And it's very accessible too. Like, um, of course I went to Walmart the other night to get a percolator and they didn't have any with the, with all, all the other coffee makers. All they had were like, um, just electric boiler coffee and, um, and Keurig's. Like, they were not selling any percolators. I had to go to the camping section to get percolators. But that's exciting, because I go camping a lot. And I can take the percolator camping. It'd be a very easy and accessible way of making coffee at the campsite. So, I'm very excited about my percolator. So this is the Midnight Citizen Show, and uh, welcome back if you're a regular listener. And if you're not, if this is your first experience, well, welcome. Uh, this is my, uh, just a show I do. I try to do it every Saturday night, at least once a week, and just talk into a microphone about things that are going on, you know. I do a lot of uh, podcast listening, and a lot of research about podcasts, and of course podcasts, there's like the big thing. You know, they're, like, coming back right now in a big way. Of course, Serial and um, This American Life and 
WTF with Mark Marin. I mean, this, this was the week of Mark Marin, a podcaster, was able to get Barack Obama, the president of the United States, to come on his radio show um, called What the Fuck. <laughs> it's surprising, but, um, I mean, podcasts are big right now, but, of, of course, I think there's still this misperception of what podcasts can be. Because what I do and what a lot of the... Um, podcasters on the network that I'm a part of, the Overnight Scape Underground, uh, what they do is something entirely different than what podcasting is perceived as being right now by by the mainstream public. Uh, I think, and I'm not trying to sound all elitist here, believe me, I'm not. I'm not elitist about podcasting. Um, I just think that there are niches, and the niche that I'm in is very difficult for most people to understand, which is just come on and talk into a microphone about anything that's on your mind. That's a very sexy, a very interesting idea to me, um, that you're not locked into a topic. But most podcasts, the ones that are successful, are locked into a topic. Like, they're either about comedy, or about wrestling, or about board games or about movies or about music like everything is just locked into a topic and um and we're not and that that's why it's really hard to promote the midnight citizen like i i just, I, I struggle every week trying to brand and market the show because the people who don't know what it is who aren't on the overnightscape network or don't listen to the other shows there you know, who aren't in on the joke. I, I've had some people find me just by pure coincidence. And, you know, and I, I they like listening to what I do because it's it can sometimes be interesting to just, like, listen to another person talk. I do it all the time. That's why I started doing the show, because I was like, hey, I was listening to other shows <laughs> who do the same thing and who I had to scour the internet to find because I didn't want to listen to just a show about movie reviews all the time. Um, and, um, you know, people enjoy doing that, but, but, but it's really hard to find shows like this because you can't just go onto Google and type in podcast about everything. I, I, I try to narrow it down on the tags every week and the ID3, but, but it's always a problem. So. A perfect example, and I never really get to talk to people about podcasting and daily life. Most of the talking with other people I do about podcasting are like on the internet through Facebook with other people who podcast who I know. Um,. There was a, a couple weeks ago after I finished a show, I stepped out into the alley as I normally do to have a cigar and a coffee and uh, just reflect on my on my show and, and just kind of enjoy what I had left of my Saturday night. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, actually, early Sunday. And um, this truck pulled up the alley and... Uh, he started to like slow down. His lights were so bright. It was like blinding me, but I could see that he was looking into my studio because my studio is on the bottom level of my apartment and it's got, it's like a sunroom really. And, uh, it's got, you know, three windows, 
Like I'm looking at three windows right now that are facing the alley and then two windows that look out onto the street. And um, he's looking in the studio and then suddenly he starts advancing toward me in his truck. And I'm thinking for a second, should I probably go in right now? I mean, it's like two o'clock in the morning. This is a dark alley in, in the city. Like I could get, I could possibly be murdered right now. I started to get like really nervous about it. And then he's, his window starts coming down and that's when I start really locking up. This is my fight or flight. It made me nervous about how I would, I would react if like presented with real danger, like somebody had a knife or something because I was, this could have been possibly been a very dangerous situation. Just this truck advancing toward me at 2 o'clock in the morning in a, in a dark alley. And I wasn't leaving. Like, what does that say about me? <laughs> uh, so, I guess I would stay and fight. I don't know. But as the window starts coming down, he um, he just he says to me, Hey man, I'm just wondering, I live down the street, what are you doing there? I was like, I, what, in my apartment? He's like, yeah, man, I just noticed you got, like, a microphone set up. You know, you seem to have, like, a really cool, like, you got computers and monitors. And, and, um, I said, and I told him, you know, yeah, I do a podcast and everything. And he has that general response. He's like, oh, yeah, what's it about? Because that, this is the mainstream thing. The, the idea that if you do a podcast, it has to be about something. And, um, this is a real... You know, obvious question. I mean, I, I when I got kicked out of the mall... Okay, I didn't get kicked out of the mall. I just got asked to stop recording a couple weeks ago. And that, that by the way, is, is, is on my previous podcast where that happens. Um, you know, the security guard in the mall said, you know, what is it about? And all you can really do is just say, you know, it's about every everything. Because you don't want to say it's like about... I guess you could, about pop culture, or you can say it's just about living in Birmingham, or something. Because he inevitably did ask me, do you talk about Birmingham any? And, you know, so he was really interested to find out about the show, because he, it it came to pass, he uh, runs a music production company, or a music marketing company here in in, in the city. And um, he was thinking about doing a podcast of his own, so he asked me about you know, what, what does it take? Like if I wanted to play like some, some talking heads music or or some, just any kind of commercial music on my podcast. And, uh, it was kind of wild because I was able to do, I I had all these answers just from five years of doing the show off and on and, uh, kind of having done all my own research. I've sort of in a way become kind of a specialist in this kind of thing in knowing what you can and cannot do. And I mean, to me, it comes as like common sense, but I guess to the average person who thinks if I'm putting a podcast out there for free, uh, and I'm promoting the music that I'm playing or something like they, they think that you, you can get away with that. And you know, you just simply can't at least not if you want your show to eventually become something, if it's just something you're doing for fun and you're goofing around, then go ahead, play Talking Heads, play Nine Inch Nails, play all of your music to your heart's content. It's just that eventually, someday, the studios are going to get wise, and they're going to pull all of your back archive, and then what are you going to have? Nothing. All that work for nothing. So anyway. So yeah, we talked for about 35 minutes there in the alley. He just turned off his truck, and 
and I put out my cigar for a second, you know, just because I wanted to save it for when I was just kind of there alone. Uh, and, and we were just, uh, talking. It, it was actually, it was literally a podcast alley, you know, podcast alley, the old, uh, aggregate website. I think it's still up. I don't know. Let me look at the, the, the podcast alley podcast alley. Yeah. The thing about that cigar is that I, I have to like really be in a place where I can enjoy it. Like after I do a show, I, I just want to be able to go into the back alley and just sit alone because sometimes cigars are so good when you're just there alone and you just you know have your thoughts (laughs) I don't know (laughs) to entertain you and uh let me see yeah uh, podcastalley.com is still up here but it doesn't look like it's the same podcast alley that I recognize where it would like rank podcasts um, and everything featured podcast like it's just a very blank website and it has like a place like featured podcast NPR programs see like NPR is big on podcast and everybody says that NPR is saving podcasting but th- but to me and this is what I told this guy it it, it I, I know that podcasting could be anything, any kind of audio that's downloadable that you can put on your iPod, theoretically, or, or I, I know they don't really have iPods anymore, but iPhone or just Android device or any kind of mobile device that you can take and listen to. That's a podcast. But the true term to me means something that originates as a podcast and stays as a podcast. And all these shows on NPR, they, they originate on NPR. They originate on the radio and then they just release them from download later on. So that to me doesn't really count as a podcast and, um, and all that. But at the same time, I I shouldn't mix words because the important thing about podcasting is that, uh, I, I guess there's this new awareness of it, definitely with like shows like Serial and and all this, like these shows with these all this money and corporate underwriting. But people are still using the term podcasting. They're still going around downloading these things, and and I guess it is good because it it allows people like me and two hundred and fifty thousand people other than me to. Um, to do this and, and, and be able to talk to people like that guy in the alley. Um, and they have a point of reference. And once they have that point of reference, Oh yeah, I know what a podcast is. It's like that show, this American life. Then we can go from there. <laughs> we can be like, like I was like, yeah, well there's these people like on the overnight scape underground. And I, I managed to talk about not just my podcast, but like PQ Rivers podcast and Frank Nora's podcast and Jimbo's podcast, all these other people who are on the overnight scape underground who do shows for no money. They just turn on a recorder, talk about whatever they're interested in, and then they plug it into the podcast. And, um, and there's definitely this whole, array of people who are doing this right now who are not getting getting noticed because the new perception of podcasting is just professionally put together you know all these people working on it 
professionally mixed and it, it's uh, it has to go through like a panel of approval before it gets heard by anyone. So, no, but it was still kind of it, it, it was cool. Like I, I just never get a chance to really talk to people about podcasting in daily life. Podcast Alley, literally, that was neat. All right, in just a second, I'll get to this whole uh, Jurassic Park thing. So, yeah, I, I went to the movies uh, last Saturday. I've actually been to the movies uh, kind of a lot this summer. Like, I went to go see that Love and Mercy movie twice, the Brian Williams the <laughs> movie. No, Brian Wilson. Brian Williams is the uh, that disgraced broadcaster from NBC who <laughs> like, said he was in combat zones and saving people or something like that. No, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Yeah, I saw that movie uh, twice. I liked it so much the first time. I took my parents to see it because they're big uh, Beach Boys fans. And my God, like you need to see that movie. It's 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 so interesting. It's so good. And uh, like my friend Dave uh, went and saw it, and he's he's a huge like he he doesn't like most movies, but he's a big Beach Boys fan. He loved this movie. So. But yeah, it's uh, I I don't like to go to the movies that much anymore. I used to enjoy the I, I I used to enjoy it so much. That was just the a real centerpiece of my life was being able to go to the movies. And um, I just I haven't liked it in the past couple of years, I mean, and chiefly because it's become difficult to sit in a theater for a couple of hours um, and uh, sit through all of these awful like just formulaic movie trailers and. Uh, just people are in there checking their phones constantly and um, just no regard for like just all these lights being off and the fact that just light travels a lot faster in the dark, you know? So, so it's just, um, it's just not really an enjoyable experience that much, but, um, but I did go to see this Jurassic Park movie last week just because, you know, Jessica said that she'll pay and so, and I kind of wanted to see it. I was, like, curious, but, um... But, yeah, sitting in the movie theater beforehand... I'll tell you this quick thing, then we'll go to the re- recording. These movie trailers that play beforehand, like... Okay, there were something like six trailers before the movie. Like, there's always about six to twelve trailers that play before any movie. And they really are very template. What do you call it? Templative? It's like they all follow the same format, and uh, there's just, you know, they've got all this, just the same music, and there's always some stupid punchline at the end of the movie where, like, somebody tells a joke, and it just, like, cuts silent, like, all of the sound drops off of the track for, like, about five seconds, and then there's a big explosion, and, you know, oh my god. And uh, it's gotten so bad that uh, I, I am more attuned to the, my surroundings when I watch trailers. Like I almost like I'm more interested in hearing what people around me are saying, how they're responding to the trailers. Because you never really hear many people. It's like just blank stares in the theater most of the time. Like because I mean. Like, I go to the movies maybe once, maybe twice a month. 
most people go probably about that or less than that. Um, but I, I think that we're getting to such a point where it's become so predictable, our experience of the movies, um, with just these long, drawn-out commercials beforehand constantly telling you to turn off your cell phone, and then another one that comes up telling you to text this to this number to receive a free this. And um, it's become so arduous, it's not fun anymore, that um, all we can really do anymore is just try and look for anything else that's interesting in that theater other than what's going on on the screen. And, uh, and I, I just, I don't know. I listen to people around me and, uh, you know, there's this one trailer, this Ant-Man trailer that keeps on playing. I've seen this trailer so many times. I think they've been playing it now for about a year in the theater. And, um, you know, I'm not interested in Ant-Man. I, I, you know, I won't go see it. I I know exactly how the movie's going to be. It's it's going to be about a guy who gets recruited by somebody to, you know, be an Ant-Man, whatever. And there's going to be like a clunky sequence where he's learning how to use the suit. And then somebody's going to turn out to be a bad guy and he has to fight them. And then it's uh, and then there's going to be a big cliffhanger for the for the sequel or something. I don't know. I'm not trying to be cynical or anything. This is just how it's gone. The, the, these movies have made me this way. So. But there's a point in the movie trailer, which I've seen a million times at this point. I'm just not interested in it. I never was. But it's this point in almost every movie trailer where, like, some guy, like your hero, displays some level of wimpiness. And then somebody shows him up on it, usually a woman. And there's a sequence in, in this Ant-Man trailer where, uh, I'll try it. Maybe I can pull it up and just watch I don't know. We'll watch it. There's a sequence in this Ant-Man trailer where uh, Paul Rudd, who's playing the Ant-Man, is being trained by this woman. And, um, I don't know. He says something like, uh, what, are you going to punch me? And then she punches him, like, hard. And I've seen this so many times now, and it's also like a formula that's followed in so many other movie trailers that you don't... You just expect people to just be, like, used to it by now, like, not even notice it anymore. I've got this trailer pulled up, but YouTube's not playing it for some reason. <laughs> but this one guy, like, in, this, in, the, in, the, in the theater the other day, like, said something that just made me laugh, like, so hard... It wasn't very crowded in the theater. It was just... Here we go. Let me turn down. Let me see. Oh, God. Michael Douglas. Shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff. I've memorized this. What do you want me to do? I need to break into place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, whatever. Are you ready? So, I'll try to, I'll like try to reenact this for you. Like what this guy said. You have to learn how to control it. And these are your greatest allies. You're kind of cute. When you're small, you have superhuman strength. You like a bullet. 
you need to know how to punch. You want to show me how to punch? Show me how to punch. Oh! That's how you punch. <laughs> this guy like so goddamn loud in the theater. It's like, ooh! <laughs> like, he, and, he just was not expecting it. It came out of nowhere. And uh, and I think he was sitting alone, too. <laughs> I don't know. It was uh, kind of a great moment. Kind of restorative it made me feel a little bit of redemption like it's so cheesy and just so predictable and so half-baked what goes on in these movies uh that are made these days but people are still obviously getting some entertainment out of them you know and i i guess that's that's all you can ask for you know All right, I'll uh, play you this Jurassic Park pre-review, and then I'll come back after that to let you know if I enjoyed Jurassic Park. I know you're you're just like dying to know. <sighs> okay, it's a uh, Saturday night. It's about uh, eight thirty, and. Um, <clears throat> sitting out here on the uh, porch. We're about to leave in a few minutes to go see Jurassic World. And, um, I don't know if, uh, I don't know, I don't know about this movie. I don't know if I'm going to like it or if I'm going to hate it. Uh, so far, all the re- reviews on it, everybody I've talked to seems to be split, uh, right down the middle. Nobody seems to be in between. They're just like, oh, it was okay. So, and, um, yeah, it, I was uh, really just uh, planning on hanging around the house tonight and watching some television and doing the show a little later. But uh, then Jessica suggests that we go see this uh, Jurassic Park. And uh, at first I was kind of hesitant. I didn't really want to go see a movie tonight. And so I'm uh, getting the oil change tomorrow. And that's just like it's like $56 or something to get my <laughs> the oil change to my car. And so... Um, kind of a big expense but uh but at the same time i was going over the notes that i had for tonight's show and i I realized i was a little thin so so i think this will be like good filler and go see jurassic park and also this is a a big summer movie and there's a lot of stars in it and uh seems to be uh doing really well it's very rare that uh, you get this big summer movie, even in like the 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 days lately, where you just have these movies that are epic, just summer movies. They're like two and a half hours long, and they're made for you know 120 million dollars, and they make 200 million dollars of the box office on opening weekend, and uh, it's just uh, so. But but this this movie seems to be kind of a, a a phenomenon. I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's like in the zeitgeist and it's just ubiquitous in culture. Um, you know, uh, where just everybody like I remember when the first uh, Jurassic Park movie came out. Uh, I was uh, I was in the fifth grade. And uh, just everybody uh, had seen that movie by the time school got in um people were coming just everybody was wearing jurassic park t-shirts and uh 
there were just every kids magazine like Disney Adventures uh, you know, there were coloring books I mean every other book at the book fair uh, that came to school was about Jurassic Park and it was uh just a huge deal and uh not only that but it's one of those rare kids movies that uh just adults seem to really like as much as the kids and uh so just everybody went to go see that and and uh, there aren't very many movies like that anymore, I, I don't think, because uh, just every because of I guess uh, special effects, the way that they've gone, uh, every movie, even the really small ones, have huge special effects. So uh, when Jurassic Park came out, it was like this really big deal to see this big moving, mean ass dinosaur up on the screen, and um, people really hadn't seen much much of anything like that before, so. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, the, I, I, there have been a, a few movies in culture like that, uh, in my lifetime. I know Batman was the first really big one that came out in, uh, 1989. Uh, that was a movie where just everybody, like, had seen it. Everybody was talking about it. I mean, just everywhere you looked, it was just, uh, ubiquitous. <clears throat> and, um, you know, Forrest Gump, I remember it was like that also, where, Everybody was coming to school wearing, like, Bubba Gump t-shirts. They were giving prizes out at the school fundraiser. Like, the kid who sold the most coupon books got, like, um, this Forrest Gump prize package of, like, Bubba Gump shrimp beach towels. And uh, they they got the VHS tape. And uh, it was just um, people were obsessed with that one. Everybody had the the soundtrack to Forrest Gump because it had all these classic rock and roll uh, tunes so i was reading the other day that this uh, jurassic world movie uh passed the one billion dollar mark at the box office i mean one billion dollars i mean that's that's what they would call a blockbuster i mean this this term blockbuster gets thrown around kind of a very loosely these days it uh, uh in the old days uh, it, it was applied to any movie because Movies would open, and they would open in, like, one or two theater movie theaters. And um, the they would have, like, four shows a day. So the, the, the demand to get in to see the movie was so huge that people would lo- literally line up around the block. And, uh, and it would just bust the block. Uh, you know, you couldn't walk around the block. It was like, a, imagine, like, a, a, a waistline that was just busting at the seams. That was, like, the blockbuster. And... Um, that doesn't really happen anymore because, uh, you know, every movie theater has like 16 theaters within it. And uh, the big movies that come out, like your Jurassic Parks or your like Avengers, um, they put them in something like five or six theaters and they show some 2D, some 3D. So there's virtually, and they have like eight shows a day, so there's virtually no chance whatsoever that you can go and and face it being a sold-out show. I, I really do not know the last time I went to a movie theater and it was sold out. Um, it may have been about 12 years ago. I, I went to go see one of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. And there was literally a line to, to go see it that was out the door. And when we got into the theater, we, we actually... I was with three other people and we had to split up because we could not find a seat, like three seats together. We all had to watch it. Um on opposite end of the theater. That was also that one one time that guy 
that that guy was sitting next to a friend of mine and like he was drunk and he was sitting by himself and he like threw up all over the seat next to a friend of mine. <laughs> I'll have to tell you that story sometime. Uh so but yeah, no, uh so it seems like uh it would be appropriate for me to um talk about this uh you know, I don't I don't really see many movies and do many movie reviews on my podcast. But uh this uh, this seems to be like the kind of the perfect movie to go see because uh there has been a lot of expectation over it. People have been talking about it. I see people wearing Jurassic Park shirts everywhere and uh you know it it seems to have made a lot of money in the box office and and uh, you know Jurassic Park was a was a very big thing to me when I was a kid. Uh, I I loved Jurassic Park. Of course, I was the only one in school. I'm pretty pretty sure that did was did not go see it in the theater. <laughs> Cuz uh, at that time I was still like every time I went to go see a movie, my parents had to take me. They they were not yet uh dropping me off at the theater and just letting me go see whatever movie I wanted. Uh that came a little bit later like in the middle school. But I was still in elementary school, so they had to go see these movies with me. And, uh, you know, their argument was that it was going to scare me. It was going to give me nightmares, which, <laughs> um, you know, maybe. I, I I don't know. I mean, it was presented to me as a movie where um, an amusement park opens. And uh, it, it has dinosaurs, and something goes wrong, and the dinosaurs start eating people. So I went in knowing that it was going to kind of have scary elements. But... Uh, but I wasn't really scared of the concept. I just really wanted to go see the movie because everybody else uh, was. So, and um, and my parents did not take me to see it. They 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 just told me it it it'd be too scary. And and um, they they I never got to go see Jurassic Park in the theater. I had to wait for it to come out on videotape. But uh, the night that it came out on videotape, I was in the sixth grade because you know like it was the early '90s. So a movie would come out of the theater and it would take it about. Um, I don't know, it would take it probably 10 months to over a year for it to come out on videotape. And when it did, um, my mom took me to the took took me to the, the, the uh, movie gallery, and uh, they had one of those walls that had 50 copies on it, and all of them were taken but one. I got the last copy on the uh, night that it came out, and we went to Domino's and got, like, a pizza, and, you know, it was awesome. Hey, how you doing? All right, sorry about that. My uh, my neighbor came by and I was uh, got into a little bit of a conversation with her. So so where was I? So uh, yeah, that that night that uh, I I finally got to see Jurassic Park on VHS. I just uh, got the last copy at the at the video store and we got a pizza and uh, went home and I uh, was was so taken aback by it. Of course, my parents didn't uh, want to watch it with me and and I realized. Uh, very shortly after that, that my parents didn't really, they weren't really afraid of me seeing the movie and getting scared by it. They just didn't want to see it. <laughs> they, uh, they didn't want to, they didn't want to see it. And I, and I didn't have any other friends who had parents who were taking their kids to see the movie. So I couldn't go with them. And <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I don't really knock it. I mean, I actually look. Uh, uh, I see a very uh, good side to not being able to go see uh, Jurassic Park um, when it first came out because when you can't see the movie, nobody's going to keep you from reading a book. So I did get when I was in the fifth grade. Uh, I got the Jurassic Park book by uh, Michael Crichton, 
and uh, consumed it, definitely read it and loved it. Wasn't able to understand all of it, not all the science and, and stuff. But uh, the uh, when I got to the parts where people were getting eaten and uh, all the graphic detail of like scientists who were trapped on the island because they didn't get the boat, had their intestines ripped out by the velociraptors. Uh, that was a, a lot more frightening than anything I could have seen in the movie. So... <laughs> But I still, I, I loved it. Jurassic Park to this day remains one of my favorite books ever. I think just because of the uh, the historical context of seeing it. Um, and uh, got me into a lot of really cool books when I was in middle school. I was uh, definitely an accelerated, precocious reader. Um, and it was all because of just reading Jurassic Park when I couldn't go see the movie. Um, got into a lot of books that uh, other people my age I just didn't see them reading um, so uh, but anyway uh, but yeah when I uh, eventually got my hands on the movie and uh, became obsessed by it I, I just uh, fell in love with that movie I, I got it for uh, Easter my parents you know would give me presents for Easter and I got Jurassic Park um, as a gift and kind of would watch certain scenes from it every day before I went to school. I was uh, just obsessed with that movie. I would watch it probably every day after I got home from school for about two weeks, uh, just uh, consuming it and looking at how it worked and uh, just so excited by that T-Rex attack. I mean, that's one of the greatest kind of scenes in, in movies, to my knowledge, is just the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex when all the lights go out and, you know, he... Uh, eats that goat and uh and everything hey <laughs> this is my neighbor again <laughs> it's hard to sit outside and just uh talk on the recorder because you have so much alley traffic uh coming back and forth um just neighbors who want to talk to you and uh I like that. It's it's good. It's good to know your neighbors, um, you know, the, the the people that you live by. It's better to know them and what they're up to than uh, what they're not up to. And um, yeah, there, there are a few people who live around here who, like, give you just weird looks um, just for saying hi to them and being neighborly. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. They just, they just don't want to be a part of the whole scene, and uh, I understand that. Um, I, I see value in... Uh, in knowing my neighbors, though, um, I see I see real value in it, especially in the neighborhood. That I mean, my my neighborhood is not it's not dangerous, but uh, it's had its share of shady characters throughout the year, uh, th throughout the years, who will come in here and um, turn their apartment into just like a flop house for all of their like uh, friends and. Uh, They'll have, like, eight people, and before you know it, like, the plumbing in the building is all fucked up, and, uh, just, you know, you can't get any sleep because people are out on the patio, like, the, the, the porch all night long, and, um, and, uh, we had a real problem with this guy who was living in the building for a while who was, uh, dealing, um, out of his apartment, and making deals in the alley that were, were right, but was right by my, uh, bedroom window, and, uh, I just didn't, 
I like that. Never reported him to the landlord or anything because he never did anything to hurt me or to, to just make my life unpleasant other than just kind of being there and just being this total shady creep. Um, so... Yeah, you know. So, uh, but 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 it's good to know uh, your your neighbors um, who are here consistently, and you know they can help you out of bad jams or whatever, or back you up if you ever do have to make a complaint against uh, another neighbor. <laughs> Which, fortunately, I, I mean things have not come to a head uh, yet with anyone, and the and 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 everybody seems to be pretty cool. So that that's living here currently. But uh, what was I talking about? Jurassic Park. So yeah, I'll um, since it was such a big deal to me, I was not interested in ever seeing another Jurassic Park movie because the uh, those sequels, man, Jurassic Park two and Jurassic Park three. I both I, I saw both of those in the theater and uh, just I you know the the sequel the the second one was not that bad, but I had read the Lost World, uh, which it was based on. Uh, the book came out, and uh, they mo- they made the movie from the book. So, and it just, I loved the book. The book, to me, was amazing. It was just a great read. It was so much fun. And then the, the, the it, it totally confused me because the reason that they published a second book was so that they can then make a movie off of it. So they would be making double their money. Um, it was it was an economical, like, financial gam- or, you know, play for the Jurassic Park franchise. So it, it completely perplexed me when the movie came out, and uh, it had absolutely nothing to do um, with the uh, with the book at all. There was one scene overall in the movie uh, that was actually in the book, and that was when the T-Rex is attacking the trailer uh, that they're in. But everything else is just completely scrubbed. And... Um, like there was this great subplot of corporate espionage. I think I talked about this on the show a few weeks ago. Um, that seemed like it was actually going to be in the movie because there was a scene in the trailer that was not in the finished movie where they're sitting around the engine boardroom kind of trying to talk about how they're going to salvage all the dinosaurs. And that was completely cut. I mean, I was... 13 years old when that movie came out but i was obsessed with the idea of like corporate espionage in the jurassic park universe because that was always kind of an underlying idea in jurassic park and in and and the lost world is the fact that uh this is an amazing scientific discovery but it's been exploited by for you know by a corporation for uh just entertainment um, not not for the good of science, but to you know entertain kids uh, who were children of rich millionaires who could afford to go to this island. So, um, you know, and that 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 just whole idea was completely dropped in the movie. So I, I did not like the sequel that much. Um, and then Jurassic Park three was just got off. It's just a terrible movie, awful. Um, so yeah, I I have never wanted to. Uh, I, I you know I have the amount of time that I've gone on the internet in the last 15 years to see if a new Jurassic Park movie is going to be in production or going to come out anytime soon has been probably about uh, two minutes. I, I, I think I maybe went on there one time back in 2004 because uh, I had seen uh, there was this leaked script online of the new Jurassic Park movie, and uh, it, it turned out to be a fake, but it was about the uh, Velociraptors or something. They they were being uh, utilized by the American police force uh, to to go out and actually be 
Like, like I think cops were going to ride around on velociraptors and enforce the law or something, kind of like you see cops at, like, horses on horses at events for crowd control. So, yeah, it was uh, somebody had gone on and written the script and uh, in 2004 were able to get away with uh, making everybody believe that it was an actual script that was going to go into production for uh, Jurassic Park 4. So, <laughs> but... Um, I don't know, but uh, have not really been uh, excited about seeing this new one. It just seems kind of dull. I, I do not have great expectations. Um, it, it's, uh, but you know, the funny thing is, is that this new one, it, it's how it was described to me. My first experience with Jurassic Park ever was. Um, it was described to me by my fourth grade teachers. Like there's this amusement park where the dinosaurs come out and they eat people. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my mind, amusement park, I'm thinking six world, six flags. I'm thinking Disney world, these places I had been. And, um, so I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be like a lot of roller coasters and, and stuff. And then there's just going to happen to be dinosaurs. And, uh, that was exciting. And then I see the movie and even though it's great, I love it. It's nothing like it was described to me. So, but this new movie seems to be exactly like that. It seems to be um, a fully realized amusement park with like corporate sponsorship, like uh, and uh, uh, and rides that you can go on, and and then there are dinosaurs, <laughs> and then the dinosaurs get out and start eating people. So um, this is the movie that I would have wanted to see when I was um, ten years old. Uh, but the problem is I'm not ten years old anymore. I'm thirty-two, and uh, I, I've kind of outgrown that a little bit but um but uh everybody i've talked to who who has liked the movie has loved it and uh, the the one re the problem that i have with the review that everybody who loves the movie gives it is they say you just have to turn your mind off you have to approach this movie as if it's just a fun summer popcorn movie and uh okay i understand that i'll accept that i like having fun at the movies i mean the problem with a lot of summer movies is that they are so brooding and so dull and they're two and a half hours long and, and everything and and it'll be fun to go in and see a movie that's supposedly fun and popcorny and just you know have a good time um and campy um but what i don't like is that i have to um approach like filter the movie through all these channels in order to enjoy it um you know, the mark of a good movie is you should just be able to enjoy it no matter what kind of mood you're in and no matter what kind of filters are going on in your mind. And, um, you know, the first Jurassic Park to me is like a really perfect movie. I mean, it, it's a smart movie and uh, it's a great action movie. It's uh, got really horrifying moments of dinosaur uh, mutilation. And um, but at the same time, it's uh, got it manages to work in these amazing moments of philosophical dialogue between the uh, paleontologist and the mathematicians and all those guys who were on the island, uh, you know, deciding whether or not it's good for science or just good for entertainment, you know. So um, I, I think uh, the first Jurassic Park is a really strong movie. It's just a, it's a perfect movie and uh, was perfect for its time because it, you know, it was really the first time DNA, you know, the term DNA, uh, was that dioribonucleus acid? Is that right? I can't remember. Um, but had been incorporated into the mainstream lexicon. And uh, as soon as Jurassic Park came out, it seems like not only every science fiction novel was talking about DNA, 
but DNA was being talked about as just the important building block genetic code of life that scientists were looking at um, into cloning, and they cloned Dolly the sheep, so that was a big deal. That happened like in 95 or 96, maybe earlier, I don't know. And then, of course, the O.J. Simpson trial came out, and I think one of the great big things that made that such a huge news event um, was this concept of DNA testing, the the fact that you could actually trace the perpetrator, the assailant, back to a crime they did based on um, physical evidence that they left at the crime scene. And uh, and, and that really type, tapped into the zeitgeist of the culture that I think Jurassic Park helped perpetuate and helped ignite. So, um, so you know, it was, it was just a perfect movie. It was, in addition to being a great movie, a great screenplay, well-directed, um, fantastic effects, and um, really well-acted, um, it, it, uh, it was just a perfect product of its time. It tapped into something. It, it almost, like, predated by about two seconds, everything that was about to explode in the 90s um, for, you know, all the way through, like, 97, 98, so everything. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. So, uh, but, yeah, J- Jurassic World, uh, I, I don't know, it just seems kind of, kind of like um, an ir- irrelevant movie. It's just there to kind of make money, and, and people can go and enjoy, enjoy it and have a good laugh. It will never, ever have any kind of lasting impact i mean i'm pretty sure um as the first one it's and um and most movies uh don't anymore i mean television obviously is where it's at most movies uh do not have uh the kind of i don't know political muscle and culture anymore to really make a substantial impact (laughs) they they just kind of come and go a lot of them and then they're on blu-ray and 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 red box and we just rent them and forget about them um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of the way it is now. I, I, but then again, I think it will be really amazing. Uh, the fact that we've lowered our standards with movies, if a movie does come along and actually makes that kind of impact and shows us that, you know, they can be saved and, and I, I don't know, but I, I do not hold up mo- much hope for, uh, <laughs> Jurassic World. I'm, I'm sure I will go and see it. I'll either love it or I'll hate it. And, uh, I'll tell you about it, um, you know, when it's when it's over and I'm back in the studio recording a show. Okay. Um, yeah, and let's go back into the studio now. So did I like it? <laughs> I can't really remember. <laughs> Honestly, it was a week ago. Someone, so many things have happened in the last week. Like, um, like just with my entertainment consumption, Ugh. I got an Apple TV, I got HBO now, so I watched all of the comeback, I watched most of season two of Silicon Valley, True Detective, no, I haven't watched True Detective yet, <laughs> I'm just telling that because I know Josh will be listening to the show tomorrow on his drive back from Chattanooga <laughs> and uh, I'm supposed to watch uh, True Detective with uh, him and his wife and uh, so no no I have not watched True Detective yet or have I
So, uh, okay, let me try and back up, because um, I did have uh, some conversations with uh, people about Jurassic World um, who liked the movie. I-, I have not had a conversation with somebody who has not liked the movie. Although I know they're out there, I just haven't talked to them in person. So, um, so I was saying in that pre-review just now about how there are two different types of people who like this movie. There, there seem, seem to be people who love it, people who hate it. And the people who hate it, hate it, because they seem to be comparing it to the original Jurassic Park. And uh, you, you can't do that. Don't, 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 because as I was saying, Jurassic Park is a perfect movie. It was perfect for its time. We watch it now. It's just a really very good, solid little movie. Um, and conversely, Conversely, is that a word? What does that mean? I think I say that. I, I want to mean like contrarily, right? <laughs> Sorry. It's like late now, and uh, I was up until 3 o'clock in the morning last night watching Silicon Valley, so. Introducing a statement or idea that reverses one that has just been made or referred to. Okay, so yeah, that's conversely. So I'm not crazy. Conversely, the people who like Jurassic World like it because they want they, they just say turn off your brain and enjoy a popcorny campy movie. Which is bad because we shouldn't lower our standards with going to the movies. And I know you're gonna say, okay, it's just going to the movies. Relax. Well my problem with that statement is that movies have never cost more to make. Uh the original Jurassic Park was made for what? Like a hundred million dollars. Maybe a little more. The average movie now is made for something like two hundred million dollars. And most of them are made in petri dishes, you know, with like computers and uh very little practical effects, like this one. Uh they had some practical effects, like the close ups of the dinosaurs, just like in the first Jurassic Park, were all I think they were practical. Um, like the Velociraptors and stuff. When they're, like, in the muzzles. I, I, I think those were practical effects. But, uh... If not, I mean, they, they, they did good job with CG. So, anyway. Um... And also, movies have never cost more to go and see. They're, like... I mean, we... It was, like, 30 bucks last week to go to the movies after we got, like, uh, a couple of drinks. So... It's just, why should we have to lower our standards, like, go in and see a movie and just kind of enjoy the fact that it's a stupid, dumb movie? Like, I want to go see a good movie. If I'm going to, like, I I just, I feel entitled to it. I'm sorry. If I'm going to go to the movies and give the company all this money for it, I want to see that they put a little bit of effort into it. (laughs) So I'm sorry. When I go see a movie, I want to see, I want to see a good one. And, uh, like, that love and mercy, I, I... I, I gave the studio two times the money. I saw I saw that movie twice because it was a good movie. They put effort into it. You know, it wasn't just off the assembly line. So, yeah, when I go see a movie, I'm not. I don't want to go see it. Just turn my brain off and enjoy it. You know, I can do that at home. So, um, but my feelings about this movie. Whoa, geez, how did I spike just now like that, man? No, oh, I turned the gain. I'm sorry. My my finger hit the gain. Apologize. 
But my feelings about this movie, I was really right in the center. <laughs> I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just kind of enjoyed it. Now, there were moments where I really hated it. Uh, one of the subplots of this movie is that um, the uh, the main guy in there, this Chris Pratt, uh, he's a dinosaur whisperer. He can he can he uses a little clicker and he can control and talk to velociraptors. Uh, which, if we know anything from the first Jurassic Park movie, is that you cannot control velociraptors. You can put on the illusion of control, but you can't. They're too smart. They're smarter than humans. Conversely, <laughs> there were moments of this movie which I really loved. I loved every moment that the movie was actually exploring the idea of the amusement park. Like, that sang to me. Um, they really put a lot of effort and a lot of thought into, okay, what would Jurassic Park really look like if it were, if it were a fully realized amusement park? It would have rides. One great moment is that it even had, like, just dumbass teenagers manning the rides. You know, these these two kids were getting on, like, a gyrosphere, you know, to go out and into the park and ride alongside the dinosaurs. And there was just this 15-year-old pimply-faced little kid uh, le- just letting everybody on. And he he just looked like he was just stoned out of his mind, just a total dumbass. And that was a great moment because you go to any amusement park and and those are the kids who are manning these million dollar rides that have all these contraptions on them that that can break. And if they do break, they don't really have any training to deal with it. So they're just kind of brainless. So that was a a great moment. Um, The amusement park also like explored the idea of like, okay, if there are going to be all these rides and attractions, they're going to need outside sponsorships. So they have restaurants like a Starbucks there. They they have a jewelry store. Uh, they they have a Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Uh, all of this stuff where they put thought into what it would really look like is is great. It's along the same lines of Jurassic Park, where you know you're like if you could if you had the technology to make dinosaurs, would you use it for science or entertainment? And um, if you did use it for entertainment, what kind of, how would you use it? Just posing these questions, putting the out, putting them out there into the ether and then answering them in a fun summer movie like this is something that's really entertaining to me. So those were the parts that I loved. So I, I was just really right down the, the middle. And, um, you know, the first 20 minutes of the movie are just really downright awful. Um, they they don't start out in Jurassic Park. You know, they, they start out in some snowy town in America where these kids are being put on the plane. So, like, the first 15 minutes are just these kids, like, traveling out to the amusement park. And it's a very just focused story. Um, which is fine, but it's it's not it's not compelling. It's not interesting to see these kids, you know pack their bags, get in a car, go to the airport, get on a plane, then get on a boat and ride out to the park. <laughs> That's not interesting. And uh, so, But after that, the movie does pick up. Now, I, I will say that the, the scene where the, the guy is training the velociraptors is awful. I actually uh, really did, uh, and this never happens to me in, in movies, I almost got out and got up and walked away because it was just depressing me at just how little thought 
and just how stupid it looked. And I, and I think a lot of people know this, and, and you see it. Like, I, I was watching some shows uh, earlier this week, uh, and, and they were all making fun of training the Velociraptors, like holding, you know, your hand up and kind of, you know, snapping at the raptors and making them do what you want. It was just awful. It was just the dumbest scene. Uh, but then after that, the movie gets going because it, it explores the park. You meet all these characters. Like, you meet the, um, I guess, the director of operations of the park, played by uh, Ron Howard's daughter. And, uh, you know, she's walking around, and, and she's meeting these, like, corporate sponsors who are going to sponsor this new, you know, dinosaur exhibit, the uh, Indominus Rex or, or whatever. You know, the, the, the main idea of the movie is interesting. And it serves as kind of a meta-commentary on a lot of summer blockbusters. The idea that you have one movie and the ne- like you have one dinosaur exhibit, like the Tyrannosaurus Rex or the Velociraptors, but then you have to kind of keep building on it. You have to add more teeth. You have to add more claws. You have to make the thing go faster. And what they do in the movie is they create from all these other different dinosaurs a new dinosaur. The Indominus Rex, which is the biggest and the baddest of all. And it's, you know, got a little T-Rex DNA in there. And it's got, you know, a surprise. I won't spoil it for you about what's really in there. Although I think you can use half your brain and come up with it. Um, what kind of, what dinosaur's DNA is really mixed in there with it, so... And, um, but you know, it's interesting because that's the same thing with movies because you have the first Jurassic Park and it's not enough. You know, you have to keep on adding more dinosaurs with each new movie. Uh, like they kept, uh, they they added, um, you know, like in Jurassic Park three, they had some stupid dinosaur. I don't know what it was. Um, and, um, and with each movie, you have to see more kills. You have to see more intensity and all that. And, um... And that was ultimately the failure of the movie. So I was really interested until about an hour and a half in when it just became too intense. Um, And I'm about to do what the people who hated the movie did, which is wrong, which is compare the movie to the first Jurassic Park. But I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, so, like, the first Jurassic Park, there are only about four or five people who die in that movie, who get brutally killed and eaten and mutilated by these dinosaurs. Um, in this movie, there's hundreds. <laughs> there's a new person dying about once every five minutes, um, from pretty much the 30-minute mark on. And it's... it After a while, it just gets so brutal and so intense. And in the first movie, it's so con- concentrated... Every person who dies in that movie dies for, like, a reason, to serve the plot, or to serve the terror or intensity. Um, and it, you just hear the, the torsos breaking, you hear the bones crunching, and it's very, it just plays on you. But in this one, after a while, it just becomes white noise. Um, and so for about the last hour of that movie, half hour, I was just staring at the screen in total blankness. Um, there, there was one scene in particular where I was like, this, this is too much. I, I can't even imagine being a kid and watching this. It would be too terrifying. 
um, where this just innocent woman, there's like a scene where just all these innocent people are just picked off and eaten by the dinosaurs one on one, 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 uh, one by one. This poor woman is just picked up and she's thrown between the mouths of a couple dinosaurs and then she's finally thrown into this big lake to be eaten by this huge, like, fish dinosaur <laughs> that just comes out of the lake and just eats her brutally. And it's just, it was just too much. I couldn't take it. I was, it turned me into a total zombie watching that movie for the last hour. Um, and it just, like, that's not interesting to me. Uh, you know, if you're going to have this big $220 million summer action movie called Jurassic Park, you know, concentrate it a little bit more. Play up, you can still have people getting eaten by dinosaurs, that's okay, but just play up each kill for maximum effect. Uh, after a while, they were just substituting the fact that they had no story at all um, with just a bunch of people getting eaten. So... It just um, it wasn't it wasn't um, interesting to me at all. Like I'm I'm really surprised that movie got a PG rating. Like how could it get a like I I, I seriously if that movie had come out like 20 years ago, I mean uh, it, it would have gotten much harder than that. But I suppose since I don't know, you're not showing any sex or anything. <laughs> But, um, it, it is funny because <laughs> I was uh, talking in the pre-review about this uh, fake script that came out for the new Jurassic Park movie about 10 years ago about velociraptors being utilized by the American police force. That's a plot in this movie. It's absolutely true. Like, they're not going to use them to have, like, cops ride around on them. But uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, you know, Pyle from uh, Full Metal Jacket. A jelly donut in your foot locker. Um, yeah, he's in this movie and he plays like this military guy who wants to utilize the this newfound respect or this newfound command that man has over velociraptors uh, to, to put into combat zones so that the velociraptors can like attack the... Uh, attack like terrorists or something they can like rip them apart and uh that's that's like his whole thing that he wants to do so without spoiling anything because you may want to see this movie yourself uh these two subplots the velociraptors being used as military weapons and uh this indominus rex being bred in the lab and then breaking out they they kind of meet and uh it's just um it's a big, dumb, stupid movie. And yeah, you have to turn off your brain. If you want to turn off your brain, I, I think you can find enjoyment of it. It's just that me, personally, I, I just found no enjoyment in the last hour when it was just so loose and unrestrained. And and um, all these, just all the, like, th hundreds of people, like literally hundreds of people die in this movie. Like, a new person dies every five minutes, and sometimes more than one person, and it just becomes just torturous. It becomes, like, really difficult to watch it, it, it you know. And, um, like, all the actors just kind of become back seats. You know, they, they don't have anything to do in this movie. Like, Ron Howard's daughter, uh, you know... She probably spent... She's probably on the movie for, like, 30 days, and she's probably spent, like, 28 days sitting in a van 
pretending to drive. And, uh, and meanwhile, this Chris Pratt, like he gets to be on a motorcycle riding around with all these velociraptors next to him. Like that, that just would have been, so it, you know, it just was, um, it was I mean, honestly middle of the road. What, what's, what's halfway bef- between zero and four stars, two stars is my final review for, uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic World, sorry. I think all these fireworks have uh, officially stopped. I haven't heard one in about 20 minutes. The last one I heard was a few minutes after midnight. I'm pretty sure that uh, they put the kibosh on those fireworks after uh, midnight. People need to get some sleep. They gotta go to church tomorrow. Oh no. But, uh... The latest rhetoric, there's like, uh... The last few years has been going around that uh, fireworks actually trigger like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder in, uh combat veterans like they they i don't know like summons up images of or, or sensory memories of just bombs exploding and, and all that and i don't i don't know if that's true or not i mean i guess it, it makes sense i i used to hear of a lot i never witnessed it myself but there was this coach that we had in high school who was in vietnam and he constantly was having flashbacks of like, he would be in the gym, and people would be, like, you know, tossing basketballs around, and a few would fall on the floor at the same time, and he would, like, hit the deck and, like, take cover. You know, I heard that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my dad fought in Vietnam. He he never had any flashbacks, but, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't happen to everyone who's in combat zone, so. But, uh, yeah, I, I hope that didn't happen to anyone tonight. But I could see it because I was on the way over here tonight and uh, there were just people setting off fireworks. I, I couldn't see any of them. I could just hear the sounds. And they were like, they seemed to be following me like, you know. So if you were just dropped into this world and you didn't have any context for that, that would be kind of scary. And if you had all these memories in your head of just being in war zones and just having bombs go off everywhere and having like friends that you know die around you and like appendages flying everywhere like that would be um yeah that would that would make me on edge i guess i don't know so on that note thank you for listening to the midnight citizen this week uh once again i hope you had a happy fourth of july and you got plenty of leftovers so I think you still have, like, a couple of more days. Like, you know, fireworks are are illegal any other day, but, like, New Year's and July 4th in most American cities and states. Uh, So, um, but I I think you have, like, a couple days before and a couple days after the 4th to set them off. So be safe and don't blow your thumb off like my dad once did. Until next time. Keep your eyes open.